Well, again, welcome to First Baptist Church. It's good to have you here on Christmas Eve. It's exciting for a church because not only do we get to have a morning service together, but we have our Christmas Eve service tonight, and we hope you'll be back for that as well. I can't talk and do my password at the same time, just in case you're wondering. So this is it. It's our final Advent service. Who's excited about Christmas tomorrow? Anybody? Any kids out there or people who are still kids and enjoy Christmas morning? I hope so. Our sermon series has led us to the heart of Christmas, and hopefully it's helped you keep the shopping and the busyness, the decorations, the parties, all of those things that might make us miss the central focus of the Christmas season, and that is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that we just saw in the video. He was born to bring us the gifts of hope, peace, joy, and love, and he is the real reason for Christmas. During the first week, we learned that we can find hope even in the middle of our circumstances because God is faithful. He won't leave us alone. The second week, we saw the wonderful gift of peace that Jesus' sacrifice made possible for us. We're made right with God. We're made right with others because of Jesus' death on the cross. And last week, we learned that joy can be ours no matter what is happening around us. It doesn't matter whether someone bought coffee for us, the car in front of us, or we got an exciting Christmas gift. Those joys come and go, but we can have joy deep in our hearts all the time because we know that Jesus Christ is faithful and we know that he's promised us eternal life. So our final Advent message, we're going to look at the theme within Scripture that truly holds it all together. At the heart of Christmas is the great love that God has for each and every one of us. Be sure to come back tonight as we light the Christ candle and we have our candlelit service. So as we celebrate Christmas tomorrow, I'm just going to try and give you a little bit of help in case you get one of those gifts. It might be from a grandma or a a great aunt, or somebody, and you're just not sure how to respond to this gift. There are no bad gifts, really. But if you're having trouble trying to say something positive without hurting someone's feelings, here's the top eight. So the first one is, well, well, now that is a gift. The next one is, I think I've always wanted one of these. What's it called again? Wow, I just don't know what to say. Number five, I'm going to have a really special place to put this. I'm going to find something really somewhere special. Number four, boy, you don't see craftsmanship like this every day. Number three, and it's such an interesting color too. Number two, you say that was the last one? Amazing. And the last of the eight responses, you shouldn't have. It's just too much. No, you really shouldn't have. Hopefully you remember that it's the thought that counts and you'll be appreciative anyway. But today as we talk about the gift of love, it's not something that you need to make up a cheesy response to because it's the greatest gift that's ever been given. The first Christmas God showed us just how much he loves us. 
when he sent his own son to be born. It showed his unfailing, it showed his relentless love. And his love is a gift that is thoughtful because it meets our greatest need. We need peace with God. We have a sinful condition that we can't fix ourselves, so it is thoughtful. It's a gift that is priceless because it could never be purchased apart from Christ's blood. There's nothing we have that is worth what Christ gave to us as he died on the cross. And finally, it's a gift that is timeless because the grace of God is never-ending. It has no expiration, and it's what everyone needs in every generation. Above all else, at the heart of Christmas is love. If you like taking notes, there's an insert in your bulletin, and if you're online, there's a website called faithlife.com slash Dunkirk Baptist. And you can go to that website, you can find the notes, you can follow along, but in your bulletin is a place to write down some notes. And we have three points this morning because we're Baptists. We have to have three points. Not, not always. The first one is God's gift was right on time. This speaks of its timelessness. Have you ever received a gift that seemed like it was just the perfect timing? Mom always seems to know when you need another pair of socks or maybe some new pajamas. It's probably because mom's doing all the laundry and she sees the condition of your clothes and she knows you need these things. Or maybe it was after a really hard time in your life or in your family's life. Maybe it was a need that was met. And it was if that person knew exactly what your heart needed or what your home needed those gifts that are really appreciated. The book of Galatians that Paul wrote speaks about this perfect timing of Christmas. Paul was writing to a group of churches, a group of believers in what was then called Galatia, and today that's modern-day Turkey. It's interesting to look at the Bible map and see how many of those churches of the New Testament were in that region of Turkey. So let's read together Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. From the moment creation was broken by our sin. God began to develop and to reveal a plan that would restore and rescue all that he had made. To restore his perfect peace, his shalom. We see that word fullness that reminds us again of what God's peace is. It's a fullness. It's everything we need, a completeness. And God was restoring that not just to his people, but to the entire universe. The Bible is an account of God's divine intervention, his faithfulness in reversing the effects of that fall. And motivated by God's love, God partners with those who love and trust him to carry out the greatest rescue plan in history. Isn't that amazing that God chose people, part of his creation, 
to be not only those messengers of good news, the shepherds were the very first messengers knocking on doors, again, as we saw in that video, shouting, good news, the Messiah has been born. And instead of sending troops of angels to just march throughout the earth and proclaim that Jesus died and rose again, God leaves it to us. Mere mortals, people with often short lifespans compared to eternity. And God has left it to each generation to share that good news, to be part of this rescue plan, to let people know where the lifeboat is and to be saved for eternity. Paul wrote in Galatians 4 that when Jesus came and was born of Mary, the fullness of time had come. It was the exact precise moment in history that he would send the promised Messiah, his son, to come and restore this creation. Because of his love, God didn't just sit back and watch his creation suffer forever. He went to great lengths to be with us and to make us part of his family again. This passage talks about adoption. And even though it just says, sons, daughters, you're in there too. Because... You are the sons and daughters. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because Jesus came to to be born in Bethlehem, we can call out to the God, the creator of the universe, and call him Abba. That's a term of endearment, and it had never been used throughout the scriptures before. We can pray and say, Papa, I need you. God cares for us as a loving father does. And that is so amazing, that timely love. So I have a little Facebook story for you. This comes from Tracy Howell of Leonard, Texas. And I found this on a uh, website of all things called hotsermons.com. You won't get in trouble if you go there, but it has sermon stories and things like that. And Tracy Howell's website or her Facebook page is still there. So she's a real person. I I confirmed that. I did some fact-checking. She's from Leonard, Texas, and she wanted to find a unique way of showing her husband both her love and her fellowship in his daily life. She posted this on her Facebook page, and she got hundreds of thousands of likes and shares. So listen to what she posted. Clifford and I have been married almost 41 years. Who's 40 years or more? Amen. Clifford and I have been married almost 41 years, and I've made his lunch every working day since day one. On occasion, I would join him on the job site and have lunch with him. He made the comment once that lunch tasted better when you share it with someone you love. Soon after that, while fixing his sandwich one night, I took a bite out of it before putting it away. And when he got home, this is long before cell phones, he commented that someone had taken a bite out of his sandwich. I told him that since I couldn't join him for lunch, I took a bite out so that he knew I was joining him. And I continue to do this frequently, unless it's tuna or pimento cheese. She does have her limits. Love sometimes is limited. And he still says... I saw you join me for lunch today, and it was sure good. 
Tracy wanted to show her husband, to, wanted him to know that she wasn't just thinking about him. In this small way, she was joining him in his daily experiences. And even though she wasn't there at work on the, work, on the job site, she was still with him. She was taking a bite out of his day and sharing whatever struggles or hardships he was encountering that day. What's so amazing is that when Jesus came, he came to meet us exactly where we are. We saw last week in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 to 5 that God reached out to us while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in our sins. And he reached out in love. Jesus was born, according to this Galatians passage, under the law of God in order to redeem humankind. His perfect love, his ultimate sacrifice on the cross, met the requirements that the law demanded. God's law required justice, that sin be paid for. And Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God knew that we couldn't save ourselves. He knew that we couldn't even come close And so he offered his son as a gift that first Christmas. Where we fail in meeting God's perfect standard, Jesus was fully successful. His love came at the right time. And secondly, we are loved into the family. According to this passage in Galatians 4, the full expression of God's love is demonstrated in our spiritual adoption. He doesn't just say, you get to be a Christian. He says, I want you to be my sons and daughters. We become children of God and in a way, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. We're given all the privileges that a son or daughter with God as our father. Well-known pastor and author J.I. Packer wrote this about the incredible expression of love that came to us at Christmas time. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. Many people today miss the fact that God loves us. And when we miss that fact that we've been adopted into his family, sometimes we have a hard time seeing ourselves as loved and accepted by God. The idea that God chose you as he adopted you, that he picked you to be part of his family. Sometimes when we fail to see ourselves loved that way, we have a hard time loving others that God says are also valued and treasured. The reason this aspect of Christmas should never be missed or avoided is because love is central to living the full lives that God wants for us. Paul starts his letter to the Ephesians. It's the next book over. Ephesians chapter 1. And he gives the amazing spiritual benefits of being part of God's family, of being recipients of his love. Listen to these verses. I'm going to read a whole bunch of them. Uh, Ephesians 1 3 to 14. You can follow along on the screen or you can just let these words just flow over your soul. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I just want to highlight a few of these phrases. As part of God's family, we are made holy and blameless in God's sight. Our sins are forgiven. They're washed away by his love, by Christ's blood on the cross. That was the only thing that could pay for our sins and give us a clean slate. We're chosen to receive hope and salvation in verse 13. God's will and way are made known to us just as a father would share it with his child. And then we are marked with a seal by the very Spirit of God. We're guaranteed to inherit eternal life as one of God's precious possessions. You belong to God, and he's not going to let you go. All of this is only made possible by the arrival of Jesus at just the right time to one day sacrificially give his life on the cross, validating God's amazing love for us. It's one thing to say, I love you, But when you know it's real, it's demonstrated. And God demonstrated his love for us by letting his son die on the cross. Our third point is that love that is freely received is love freely given. The reason that love is at the heart of Christmas is because if we miss this central message of the season, in the midst of the lights, in the midst of the packages and the presents and the busyness, we may never receive this love for ourselves. What can be so tragic about this oversight is that often we give the same kind of love, the same kind that we identify as our own. So if we feel unloved, we're often unlovely to others. If we don't know the compassion of God, it's difficult for us to show compassion to others. But when we fully recognize his vast, unending, unconditional love, 
the love that God has for us, it becomes the natural way that we begin to treat others. If we haven't experienced the grace of God, often we have a hard time. We're stingy in showing grace to others. And the most famous passage in Scripture about love helps us understand God's feelings towards us. And it helps us understand better the way we should express that love to our spouse, to our children, even to our friends and neighbors. And God says, love your enemies. Show this kind of love to your enemies, and they're going to be blown away. At first, they're probably going to be really annoyed. But as they see you continue to do it, they're going to be amazed that you would respond to harshness and criticism with love. And you're only going to be able to do that when you have experienced that love for yourself. When you've said, God, I want this love, I'm accepting it, and I want it to be part of my life. Jan read 1 Corinthians 13 for us earlier. And we can get caught up in all kinds of good things and miss the whole point if love is not our motivating factor. Love like we've been given from God should cause us to be patient and kind with other people. It should cause us to avoid becoming envious of one another or to become proud of what we have. Love drives us to honor others, to keep a cool head. Love is present when we avoid evil and when we rejoice with what is good. Does this sound like the love that you've received from God? Do you believe he loves you that way? If you do, is that the way you display it in your own life? Someone wrote this chapter over again in a Christmas theme, and I'm going to share that with you. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 sounds like at Christmas time. If I decorate my house perfectly with plaid bows and strands of twinkling lights and shining ornaments, but do not have love, I'm just another decorator. If I work hard in the kitchen baking Christmas cookies, preparing gourmet meals, and arranging a beautifully decorated table at mealtimes, but do not have love, I'm just another cook. If I work at a soup kitchen, if I sing carols in the nursing home, and I give all that I have to charity, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I trim the tree with shimmering angels and crocheted snowflakes, and I attend lots of holiday parties and I sing in the choir cantata, but do not focus on Christ, I have missed the point. Love stops cooking to hug a child. Love set aside the decorating to kiss your spouse. Love is kind even when you're feeling irritated, tired, and just worn out. Love doesn't envy another's home that, is, that has decorated china and table linens. Love does not yell at the kids to get out of the way, but is thankful that they, that they are there to be in the way. Love does not give only to those who are able to give in return, but rejoices in giving to those who cannot give back. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Toys will break, pearl necklaces will be lost, golf clubs will rust, but giving the gift of love will endure. 
So this Christmas, I hope that you see the arrival of Jesus Christ as the ultimate gift from God. The kind of gift where the only proper response is to receive it. And then may that immeasurable love that you receive from God cause you to live it out and give it out every day of the year. I have a couple of takeaway questions, and these are things you don't have to answer out loud. It might be embarrassing. But you could jot them down. You can think about them in the upcoming week. First of all, the most important question anyone could ever ask you, have you accepted God's gift of his son, Jesus Christ? That's what Christmas is all about, but it's what the entire universe is all about. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you accepted God's gift of love? Secondly, do you believe that God loves you unconditionally? And you might be saying in your heart, no, not me. I've done too many terrible things. I'm thinking terrible things right now. I can't even stay focused on God's word and the message because of all the things I have to do. I can't think about God's love. I would encourage you to go back and reread that Ephesians 1 chapter. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it means that he chose you to be his son or daughter. That he predestined, he decided before the universe that you would be part of his family. That he would love you with grace immeasurable. That he would send his son to die for you. And that you would have hope in a future in Jesus Christ. You would be sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that your soul would be protected until it's in its final place in heaven. God loves you and he wants you to know that. And then the next question, how are you doing at sharing that love with others? Are you sharing God's love with others or are you just tolerating them? I know Christmas time can bring us mixed feelings about the family that gathers together and we think about all the people we're really looking forward to see and then we're thinking about the people that we have to pray, God, give me extra patience and strength. Are we showing this love, love that is patient and kind, love that doesn't envy or boast, love that is not arrogant or rude, love that doesn't insist on its own way, I have trouble with that. That ornament needs to go right there because there's a hole and this spot has to be that way. And the table, believe it or not, I care what the table looks like. I move the plates around and the knives and forks so that they're lined up. But if I'm being arrogant and rude in that, I'm not being loving. Forgive me, family. Three of you are here. Love is not irritable and it's not resentful. It doesn't remind, remember what happened last week and last year and keep dragging up the past. So my challenge for you is to think about a specific thing that you can do this week. And you might want to write it down so you don't forget it. What's something that you could do for a person in your life that would show them the love of Christ? And you don't get to announce it. You don't get to wrap it up and say, here, I'm giving you God's love because Pastor Mark said I had to. You just love them quietly, and you wait. And if they don't bring it up, you don't bring it up. 
and then you keep loving them and you keep loving them. If you have somebody that you want me to help you pray for reinforcement, you can text me and you can say, this is the person that I'm praying for, this is the person I'm going to try and love, and I will pray for you and I'd love to hear how you do with following through on that. You can even leave my name out if I'm the one that you're trying to love. There's a certain pastor in western New York that I'm having trouble with. Mark's going to come. We're going to sing a closing song about love. And as your pastor, know that I love you. Cindy and I love you and care for you. We appreciate being, uh, well, I appreciate being your shepherd, and Cindy appreciates being the principal of our school and uh, just being here with you throughout the year. So we love you and wish you a Merry Christmas. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you cared enough for us to love us even in our sinfulness, even in our death in trespasses and sins, even being separated and enemies with you, that you would reach down into your creation, that you would send your own son to live, to love, and to die for each and every one of us. Thank you that Jesus had the power to overcome the grave and to overcome sin and to offer us the gift of eternal life, the gift of your love to be at peace with you, to be at peace with your creation. I just thank you, God, so much for offering Jesus. And as we celebrate this Christmas, help us keep that focus that without love, none of these things would be possible. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in his love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is the very definition of love, I pray, amen.